Did your favorite NFL team win the Super Bowl? No? Then the NFL Draft is your Super Bowl. I'm Danny Heifetz, and from now until the draft, we are turning our fantasy football show feed into the Ringer NFL Draft Show. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we talk about the top players and most important storylines for the NFL Draft. So join us on the Ringer NFL Draft Show. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, View its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Welcome in. It is a Friday edition of New York, New York. Early morning, late night. I don't know what it is, but we're rocking and rolling right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. And what a start to the postseason for the Broadway Blue Shirts. What a start to the postseason for the New York Rangers. And something has been obvious and apparent right out of the gate in these first two games against the New Jersey Devils. The Rangers look like a well-oiled, battle-tested playoff machine. And the New Jersey Devils look like a team that has a whole lot of playoff inexperience. These two games at the Prudential Center could not have been more lopsided. Could not have been more boring. To the point where the Rangers took control in game one. And after the early devil goal to go up one to nothing. The Rangers come storming back with five unanswered goals. And think about how good you're feeling from a Ranger perspective. Kreider, who was a monster last year in the regular season, wasn't great this regular season. I think it's fair to say. Wasn't going to achieve the the heights and the lengths that he gave you last year. Kreider is all over the place in the front of the New Jersey Devils net, making play after play after play. Devils have no answer for him. He scores two goals. Tarasenko, second playoff game in a Ranger uniform. Second goal. Not too shabby. Then you had your other trade deadline acquisition. Mr. Patrick Kane. He goes and scores your goal and gives you two assists. Shesterkin does his thing in net. And the Rangers now have a commanding 2-0 lead over the Devils. And I'm not trying to put the mush on it. I'm not trying to put the kibosh on it. I like the Rangers in six at the start of the series. 
our boy Johnny Lazarus came on a couple of shows ago and mentioned the physicality and whether or not this was going to be a physical series. And if it was, that it was absolutely going to play into the hands of the New York Rangers. That has exactly been the case. The Rangers have looked as good as anybody. And I'm going to be shocked now at this point if we see a six game in the series. I, I really am. No one is going to give the Devils a chance. I know I am not going to give the New Jersey Devils a chance. It's been a nice story. Feel good ride. The New York Rangers have got to be feeling great about the state of affairs. What a performance the last couple of nights in New Jersey. 2-0, rocking and rolling as they return Saturday night to Madison Square Garden to drop the hammer that much more. So we have that going on. Of course, we have the buildup. The slow buildup to what will transpire Friday night at Madison Square Garden before the Rangers play on Saturday night. And that, of course, the Knickerbockers and the Cavaliers in Game 3. But before we get to that, because I didn't want to forget the Brooklyn Nets. I did not want to forget before I start giving you the dramatic buildup and lead-in to what we will have at Madison Square Garden. Starting to write that obituary on the season for the New Jersey Devils. Well, you can 1,000% write the obituary on the season for the Brooklyn Nets. And listen, you could have done that before this series. And I'm not even trying to be a jerk. I'm not even trying to be a total ass. The Nets had absolutely no chance of winning this series against Philly. Now, this game today is going to drive you insane. A couple of things here. Number one, how does Embiid not get thrown out of the game? Embiid gets thrown out of the game. Harden. Embiid doesn't get thrown out of the game. Harden gets thrown out of the game. Did somebody make sense of that to me? I couldn't even make sense of it right now. How in the world did Joel Embiid not get tossed from that game? That's number one for starters. Number two, Harden, I couldn't believe he got tossed. That uh, You can't toss a guy from a playoff game for that. And the same thing goes with Claxton. I know he was mean mugging after the dunk. I know he wanted to give it to Embiid after what happened early in the game. Can the, can the officials let that slide, for goodness sakes? Can they, can they let that slide? That's where, like, I know letter of the law, it's a technical. That's a tough call. That's a really, really tough call. So that bothered me a little bit, and I feel for the Brooklyn Nets fan from that perspective. Now, the fourth quarter, Nets couldn't hit a shot. And the Nets had absolutely no answer for Maxi, who made play after play after play, even when Embiid looked hobbled, even when Embiid did not look right. Maxi was the guy who brought Philadelphia home. Nets missed a lot of good looks. I mean, wide open looks from three, from inside the arc, you name it. That's how you go and yuck up a playoff game. So now it's 3-0, and the question in that series is, are we looking at a gentleman's sweep, or are we looking at a four-game sweep Saturday afternoon? That's the question. So, not an ideal Thursday night from a Brooklyn Nets perspective. Wanted to get to that before we get to the main event on Friday. And I am stoked. The Knicks are back in the playoffs at home, second time in three years. And I think for Knicks fans who are listening right now, you don't want to repeat of what you saw with Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks, where there was this sense of anticipation. There was this sense of buildup. The Knicks crowd was as rocking as any Knicks crowd we've had since 1999 or 2000, for goodness sakes. And Trey Young took the air out of that boom. And in game five, they gave you absolutely nothing to cheer about. It is so imperative for the Knicks, after getting smoked by Cleveland in game two, 
They need a fast start in game three. And I think in game three moving forward and for the remainder of this series, the Knickerbockers need somebody other than Brunson and Randall and, and Hart to go and step up. And there are three guys I have circled. Can two or three answer the bell? Emmanuel quickly, who outside of garbage points at the end of game two, has shot it poorly, has done nothing in this series. Quinn Grimes, can home cooking, can the idea of a role player stepping up, the old UB Brown theory that I love talking about, three through eight within the rotation, they seem to play better at home in playoff games. Can Quentin Grimes be one of those guys that steps up and hits a couple of threes and gives you some high-quality defense? And then the last enigma, the mystery of R.J. Barrett, who has been as bad as humanly possible in the first two games of this series. R.J.'s not afraid to shoot it. And that's part of the problem. You know, R.J. is not lacking confidence. He will shoot that three. He, he He's throwing the ball, basically playing ping pong on the rim and on the backboard with the way he's been shooting it all year, and especially the way he's been shooting it in this series. The Cav role players stepped up in game two. Now can the Nick role players kind of give you a little bit of a market correction? You know Mitchell's going to be up for playing on this stage. You know Brunson's going to be up for playing on this stage. They are going to be they're going to be giving haymakers left and right. The role players for the Knickerbockers need to play better. The three-point shot that has been non-existent for the Knicks in the first two games of this series, it also needs to be a factor because it's really been where this Nick team has been at their very best all year. If you see improved play out of the role players and you see the Knicks double their three-point output percentage-wise, they should find a way to win game three. I do think we're destined for a seven-game series. I do think this is going to be back and forth, haymaker after haymaker after haymaker. I just think that's what we're in store for with the Knicks and the Cavaliers. So Friday night, 8.30, lick it up, Madison Square Garden. Does not get better than that. And we're going to welcome a buddy of mine who I've gotten to know very well over the last two years. He does evening radio in Cleveland. He's terrific, Jonathan Peterlin. I wanted a, a Cav perspective. Because, listen, I don't have any Cavalier fans in my life. I, I don't. Other than Peter, when he was doing radio there, actually, I should rephrase that. The great Sheetal friend of mine is a big Cavs fan. We could have had her on as well for perspective, but she's got like a lot cooking. She's got work. She's got baby at home. So I didn't want to bother Sheetal for the podcast. I will bother Jonathan Peterlin from 92.3, the fan in Cleveland. He'll join us a little bit later on. Uh, as far as the baseball, we're recording super late. Mets, another win on the West Coast. But before we get to the win, this Scherzer crap is embarrassing. And I was so annoyed being on TV yesterday having to talk about it. Who cares? I, in all honesty, and I've been pretty steadfast and pretty consistent with this sticky stuff, garbage, and that's exactly what it is because every pitcher imaginable needs feeling and grip on the baseball with rosin and sunscreen. Ronnie Darling was talking about it in the broadcast on Wednesday. Like, you need something on your hands in order to grip a baseball. If you're going to throw it at 95, 96 miles an hour and have a clue on where it's going. So Scherzer changes gloves, uses the alcohol to wipe off his hands because clearly soap and water 
it is not going to work. And yet Phil Cuzzy has got to be the guy. It has to be Phil Cuzzy. The only time we ever hear about these stupid rule violations with sticky stuff, it's Phil freaking Cuzzy. So, of course, it had to be Cuzzy. It just, it, it had to be Cuzzy. He's throwing a glove back at him. It's a whole dog and pony nonsensical act where there is no, like, set defined rule for what violates, quote unquote, a sticky stuff violation. It had to be Cuzzy. It had to be Cousin. So Scherzer's getting 10 games. Because listen, they, they throw you out of the game. There's no way you're fighting that. And that's basically what Scherzer said after the fact. He's like, listen, there's no independent arbitrator. I'm wasting my time. Let's get this out of the way. Miss the two starts and deal with it. It's a fugazi suspension. And, and to me, it's a whole lot to do about nothing. And listen, the only thing I'll say is I don't want to hear the Mets fan now about sticky stuff with Garrett Cole. Uh, uh, anytime Garrett Cole pitches, well, oh, he must be cheating. Please, spare me with that. I got your back with Scherzer. Be fair. I got your back. I think it's total bullshit. I think it's a total waste of time. But I don't want to, I don't want to hear it now. Okay? I don't want to hear it now. We're all on team. This is a whole lot to do about nothing. Okay? And I was with a big league pitcher yesterday who basically was saying the exact same thing to me in Blevins. Who, by the way, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because he's the guy that's putting these substances on his hands, not me. Now, unfortunately, the Scherzer storyline is going to distract you from what the Mets have done on the West Coast, where they have been absolutely fantastic. Alonzo hits another home run. The guy's just raking. He is locked in. You can't pitch to the guy. I think he's poised to have a legitimate MVP season. That's how high I am on Pete's game. He's cut down on the strikeouts. He's covering the entire strike zone. He's hitting the ball out with authority left and right. But then up and down the lineup, McNeil homers tonight. Escobar, who's lost playing time with Baby coming up. Key homers tonight. And then how about Nimmo? Listen, Nimmo got paid a lot of money in the offseason. He's played great. He had a five for five the other day. His defense has gotten so much better. So much, so much, so much better. You like where the Mets are at. They did not have a great start with that series in Milwaukee, but since then they've been playing really, really good ball. And weathering the storm with pitching injuries galore. No Verlander, no Carrasco, no Quintana. Scherzer now is going to miss a couple of games. And Sanga was not great tonight. Listen, this is what you got to watch now with Sanga. He's going up against better competition. It's not the A's. It's not the Marlins. This is now two bad starts in a row. And the Mets need Sanger. Sanger is one of those guys. They need him at a high level with the age and some of the uncertainty within that rotation. But love what I'm seeing with the Mets bats. Love what I've seen from the Mets bullpen. Mets winning games the way they were winning games in a regular season last year. A lot to like. Now, Yankees. The Yankees right now are decimated. You look at the lineup they're throwing out there, and I was watching all week. I'm like, this is not a good lineup. Outside of the top four to top five, it is just not a good Yankee lineup, but they continue to win series. And to me, one of the main reasons the Yankees have not lost a series this year is the exemplary work of Garrett Cole and Nesta Cortez. And this was not even a vintage Nesta start. But once again, 
six innings, three runs, 3-0, starting off the year. Yankee lineup, couple of thoughts. One, do not mess with Volpe in the leadoff spot. I was so aggravated Aaron Boone for bunting him in the extra innings the other day when he popped it up. Kid's finally starting to get it on offense. He's got a patient approach. He's starting to hit the ball hard. Even though his batting average is a little under 200, look at the on-base percentage. Volpe's coming. There's not a doubt in my mind. Volpe is coming. Keep him in the leadoff spot. Let him steal bases. Number two, you know who has been drastically impacted by the shift going away? And in a good way, Anthony Rizzo. Anthony Rizzo is locked in for the Yankees. He's spraying the ball over the place. He's hitting line drives. Sitting well over 300. I love the start that Rizzo is off to. Bottom of the Yankee order. Waldo is not hitting. Trevino had a big day today with the uh, bases clearing double, but he is not hit. I mean, you're starting to like the kind of for left out in center field, which was an adventure. I can't believe a couple of those catches he made. But all in all, the Yankees right now are 12 and 7. With everything that has gone on for them, haven't lost a series and we're at the end of April. This will be a tough one this weekend. Toronto could score. And you're not getting a chance to play Toronto when you're at your very best. This is going to test the Yankees this weekend. If the Yankees win this series, I will be very, very impressed. And I know Manoa has been awful. And I know Toronto has some pitching problems of their own. They got star power up and down that lineup. And they enjoy the idea of hitting the Yankee Stadium. So this is a little scary test for the New York Yankees this weekend. Uh, and we'll see that how they handle it against the Blue Jays. We'll also see how the Islanders respond after getting absolutely hosed by the officials and losing a heartbreaker in overtime. What do they have left going into their series against Carolina? Well, I think it's fair to say, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we had a lot to cover in this New York, New York Friday extravaganza because there's a lot cooking. Rangers, Devils, Knicks, Yankees, Mets, Islanders involved. Mets involved for another couple of days. We're rocking. We're rolling. We'll take a break. Bang out a ton of voicemails. And we'll also set the stage for Jonathan Peterlin and what we got coming up later in the show. That's next. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Loaded night. You know what that means. We got loaded voicemails. 917-382-1151. As far as our scheduling the rest of the week, Friday night, Twitter Spaces. Right after Knicks-Cavs game three, I'll let you know when as far as time is concerned, but we'll have a little late night sesh there. We will be rocking on Sunday. And listen, I'm going to be in rough shape on Sunday. I can just tell you right now because I'm running a half marathon like a moron at 7.30 in the morning, hopefully in under two hours. 
uh, this week. Having the West Coast Met games the week I'm running the half marathon was like the worst thing imaginable. But you know what? Nobody wants to hear excuses. Go and play like a champion in a couple of days. We'll see if the Knicks can do the same thing. Uh, but we'll be rocking on Sunday. And then our pod schedule next week, we will not have a Tuesday show. We will have a Wednesday show. So little uh, scheduling update for you. All right, calls galore. Steph, let's rock, baby. Let's hear them. Hey, JJ. It's Anthony from Tom's River. Uh, I just saw the news about Madison Bumgarner getting released by Arizona. I kind of want to get your thoughts on it. I actually saw that on Twitter. You actually uh, approved of, of him maybe coming to the Yankees to kind of fill in the void for Carlos Rodon and Luis Severino until they get um, to, until they get healthy. But, um, you know, obviously he is 33, so he's not, he's not that old. But, you know, he does have a lot of mileage on his arm and, it does kind of seem like he is kind of breaking down. So I was a little hesitant about bringing him to New York, but I um, kind of just want to hear your explanation on, on why you would approve that uh, approve that move. All right, JJ, take care. Well, there's no doubt he's breaking down. And he is a shell of the pitcher he once was when he's one of the greatest postseason pitchers in the history of the sport for the San Francisco Giants. But assuming... Arizona is picking up a good chunk of his overpriced contract. We've seen it with teams where they get a little lightning in a bottle with a guy. And I would argue for both the Yankees and the Mets, even though Madison Bumgarner doesn't strike you as a New York kind of guy, Mets need a starter, the Yankees need a starter. If Arizona's picking up the tab and is paying a good chunk and he's going to basically get outright released, I'd roll the dice. I'm not taking on Madison Bumgarner for big money, but, you know, is a low-risk, high-reward type move? Why not? For either one of these teams, might I add. Yes, I would kick the tires. Maybe find something. Who knows? We've seen it with guys. Listen, we saw it with Matt Carpenter last year. It's the perfect example. But it's about the dollar commitment. You're not giving Bumgarner at this stage a big dollar commitment. So... Roll of dice? I think roll of dice on Bumgarner. What do you got to lose? All right, who's next? Yo, JJ. Patrick from Brooklyn Heights calling. Been a big fan forever, man, since the overnight. Uh, first time, long time. But I wanted to say, first, before I get to the hockey point, I know you're a purveyor of the fine foods of the neighborhood. Check out Inga's Bar or Leyenda down Smith. You won't regret it. But anyway, man, jump into the Rangers quick. This team is absolutely loaded. In five years, we're going to look back at this roster and just marvel. They're so balanced. The perfect mix of vets and kids that are hitting their stride. I mean, who are you going to guard? Who are you going to guard? Carter's wide open every power play because, like, you're the guard Kane, Tarasenko, Zib. It's just, it's absolutely absurd, man. This is the year. My man, Hank. Breaking down the games on MSG, fighting back tears, just asking, where was this firepower when I played? Seriously, this team is licking. It is, I don't want to get ahead of myself, the long fucking uh, playoffs, but I always felt this was the year. And uh, so far, so good. Team is loaded, balanced. I'm excited, man. First time I'm calling, just to say, this team is different. Let's go Rangers. It's time. I love you, Patrick. First of all, fellow Brooklyn Heights guy, I appreciate the food recommendation. Number two, yeah, if I were Henrik Lundqvist, I'd be saying, where in God's name was this firepower 
when I was the netminder for the team. The Rangers have a lot of skill. They're unbelievable on the power play. And they've added to the team. I mean, Tarasenko and Kane are two monster pickups to what you had from a loaded roster last year with Panarin and Zibanejad and Kreider and on and on we go. And they have dominated the first two games of this series with the Devils. Dominated. These games have been no contest. Rangers down one nothing. All of a sudden, you blink an eye. It's three to one. Power play goal after power play goal after power play goal. The Devils have looked like a team that's not ready. Rangers are better, too. So, like, the inexperience, sure, is a factor for some of the guys on the Devils. I also think the Rangers were being disrespected in the odds market. How are the Rangers underdogs in this series? We said it at the start. You know, I'm not Mr. Hockey. That was an obvious one to me. How are they underdogs in this series? Vegas got that one wrong. Usually Vegas on the money. They got that one wrong. All right, who's next? Hey, JJ. This is Jace from the Bronx. I uh, just wanted to, uh, you know, comment on the, uh, you know, it's on, uh, on game two of, uh, of the Nick game. Um, since you've been watching Ted Lasso, I think they, uh, they have to be goldfish at this point. Is, uh, they're playing with a little house money. Um, they already took home four. I think it's, uh, I think it's important to just forget about this game, worry about home opener in, uh, on Friday. I think that'd be, I think, yeah, let's do this. And, um, and, and the bench just have to play better, like quickly. Uh, Grimes and RJ have to have to, one of them or two of them, which, uh, hopefully can, uh, get their shot down. I think that's super important for them to, to move on um, for sure. And then for the you know, the Rangers, they just I, I just I love their performance. They just came and smacked the devil's mouth. You know, kept saying, Oh, you know, you guys are talented, you guys are fast, but we're, you know they're the better team. I think um I don't think it's gonna be a sweep. Um but um the devils are super fast. Like just you know, even though they lost five to one, just seeing how fast that kid uses. Oh my goodness! It, like he's gonna, he's gonna score. He's gonna score a couple of goals in this, uh, in this series. I, I, I just feel it. Um, and then the other thing I also wanted to mention too, since you're a runner and I'm a runner, and uh, you're, you mentioned that you're training, and uh, we're looking for a couple of songs. So I got a couple of songs for you. One of them is uh, called "Fox on the Run." By the group Sweet, um, really fun song. Um, another song is Midnight Rider by the uh, Almond Brothers. Um, the two of them are classic rock songs. Has a nice uh, cadence to it, and uh, I think you'll really enjoy it as um, on your training run. So, good luck on your run. Um, I'm currently in the PT right now. I'm I'm uh, healing up from plantar fasciitis, uh, hoping to run near the marathon this year. So, you know, from one runner to another, good luck uh, with your body and uh, have fun out there. All right. Love the podcast as usual. And thank you. And you take care. Well, I appreciate that kind sentiment. And listen, the training is coming to an end. The half marathon is coming up on Sunday. And at some point, I am going to have to run the full. I don't think it's going to be this year. I just don't gut feel. I actually would prefer running a full marathon where I train in the fall and in the winter, and that way I run it in the spring. 
Like Boston's timing is perfect for me. But I got to qualify for Boston or I need somebody to put in a favor for me to go and run Boston. I know it'd be kind of a sin for my first marathon not to be in New York, but like training in the summer absolutely sucks. As far as your point on the Knicks, lockstep. The bench, the roll guys, and the three-point shot. It's all got to be better for the New York Knickerbockers in game three in shifting the momentum back in their favor in what to me is going to be back and forth kind of series. Get ready for that right now. It's going to be roller coaster of emotions. You're not getting that in the Ranger Devil series. I'd be stunned if you do. You're going to have a lot of that in the Knicks and Cavs over the next few days. All right, who's next? Hey, JJ, Matt from Huntington Beach. Hoping I could still get in for the podcast tonight. First off, I want to apologize for that Twitter space this other night. But I get to get in here. This game is not quite over yet, but I think it's 5-1. I can get this call in. I mean, what a game. You can't ask for more out of two road games from the Rangers. Both of their imports from the trade deadline, Tarasenko and Kane, both have points. Kane, amazing tonight. What more can you say about Kreider? I mean, in front of the net, unstoppable. Everything looking good for the Rangers. Heading back to New York. Can't wait for a couple home games. Maybe we can get ourselves a short series here. Rest up for what comes next. Anyway, let's go Rangers. Can't wait for New York. Fired up. You should be fired up. Appreciate it as always, Matty. And listen, thorough dominance first two games of this series. Fantastic work on the power play. Great to see Kreider come alive. Kreider's been in the middle of everything. And if you're the Devils, maybe get him away from the front of the net. He's living there. Basically posting up like it's his office or it's his living room. You're the Devils. you got to get Kreider out of the front of the net. But the Rangers got a lot of different ways to beat you. And I think that's what New Jersey has seen here in the first two games of the series. A lot of different ways the Rangers can go and beat you. Scary team. And a short series for them, I think, is imperative. They have not had it in these playoff runs. It would behoove them, if they want to get to a cup final and win it, maybe have a nice five-game series. Or dare I say a sweep. And take care of these next couple of games at home. Let's take one more, Stefan. Hey, John. Shake from Charlie. I just wanted to talk about the Knicks' upcoming two games this weekend, Friday and on Sunday. Um, they definitely need to take at least one uh, at home. Uh, you know, you don't want to go back to Cleveland down 3-1. Because um, if you do, it's just going to be like the Hawks series all over again, where they lose in five and they just look, you know, flat besides one game. Um, definitely need the younger guys quickly and Grimes to step up and start playing well at home these next two games. Because, um, like I said, you know, you need to at least take one um, quickly and Grimes. You really need to start getting it going from three to be specific. Um, their percentages right now, um, I'm not sure what that. I think they're about. 20, 25% or something like that. Um, yeah, not good. Um, so hopefully they at least take one here at uh, MSG this weekend. Um, two would be absolutely outstanding, but I don't see that happening. But um, getting at least one Friday or Sunday um, would be great. And uh, yeah, like I said, quickly and Grimes, you just step up and start doing their thing. All right, man. Thanks. Bye. I mean, bare minimum, Jake. Listen, I'm not throwing a parade if the Knicks are going back to Cleveland 2-2. That is the bare minimum they should do in two home games. Bare minimum. Starts with one on Friday night. I think we're going to get a big Brunson game. I also think we're going to get a big Donovan Mitchell game. The role players, I can't stress this enough, 
have got to be better for the Knicks. You think about game one, who stepped up? It was Josh Hart, Hartenstein to a lesser extent. Cleveland in game two, Levert gave you an unlikely 24 points. Who is that guy in game three? That is what I'm trying to figure out. And if I had a circle of guy right now, it's Emmanuel quickly. Because he's done it all year. And I'm just surprised he hasn't done it at any point so far here in this postseason. He plays to the crowd. He feeds off the crowd. I think there's going to be a big IQ Game 3 performance. I think that's what we get on Friday night. All right, we'll have a little fun with Jonathan Peterlin, who hosts a radio show in Cleveland. Very good one, might I add. Uh, does the evenings there. So I figure we'll get a Cav perspective. Listen, we know the Knicks inside and out. We watched all the games this year. We're not watching the Cavs day in and day out. You know, I've seen them a handful of times. I think most of you have seen them a handful of times. So get a little Cav perspective. Peterlin, it's coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, Restrictions all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. So anytime you got an opposing series, right, where you got the local team, Against the team you might not know all too well, I figured it'd be a good time to get some Cavs perspective. And this guy and I spent a lot of time together last year. We were groomsmen in a wedding. We spent some time at the craps table in Las Vegas. And he does a fabulous job. He's on 92.3 in Cleveland. The overtime, I went on his show earlier today. So now, Jonathan Peterlin, you get the opportunity to complete the home and home. Welcome to New York, New York. How are you, my friend? <laughs> well, thank you, JJ. Appreciate you having me on. I, I forgot about our time at the craps table. We said, screw the high limit stuff. All these guys wanted to play high limit. We went across the street in uh, old Las Vegas. We played the, what was it, $5 table, something like that? I think we found a 10. It was nice <laughs> and dingy. It was fantastic. Uh, I, I think I it, it basically inhaled secondhand, thirdhand, fourthhand smoke. But it was dynamite, and you, it was a heater, and we had a moment. That's what it boils down to, pal. That's what it was. You had the whole table going in the best way imaginable. Well, listen, that's what we try to do when we're on the crafts table, and that's what you're going to do for us to get us ready for what we're going to see in game number three. Peter, and by the way, unrelated, how about the idea that we have a New York-Cleveland series for the second time in a calendar year? It was Yankees-Guardians in October. Now we have Knickerbockers Cavaliers. Not too well, shabby, dude. Uh, lucky for the Cleveland side of us, we don't have Terry Francona to put Savali in when Bieber should have been in in game five. You know, yeah, they're, they're... I mean, listen, you prolong the inevitable. Maybe we would have been better off seeing Bieber <laughs> in game five so I didn't have to deal with the Yankees getting swept four straight game by the Houston Astros. But let's get to this series. Peterlin, from a, a Cavs perspective, when you found out it would be the New York Knickerbockers in the first round, what was the general consensus in Cleveland? Good. We have a legitimate chance to win a first round series. 
Was there a fear factor with the New York Knicks? Like, I, I think from a Knicks perspective, they kind of looked at the other teams in the East and they said, Milwaukee, Giannis, no way we're beating them. Boston, even though you matched up, they were in the NBA Finals last year. And Philadelphia has Joel Embiid. I think Knicks fans looked at Cleveland and said, yeah, they're good, but this is the team we have the best chance of beating. What was like the initial feel when Cleveland found out, okay, it's going to be the Knicks? Yeah, it was weird because we were trying to set up a way to take on the Nets. That was like, that was the big goal. Nets, even the Heat, people were talking themselves into, right? It was basically anybody but the Knicks from that point forward. Everyone knew. The Knicks at that point, too, they were playing much better basketball, right? And so... I feel like everyone in Cleveland, they we wanted to stay away from the Knicks for reasons why this series has been so fun. But I, I if you told Cavs fans that the Knicks would have played the way that they did in the first two games, there's not a Cavs fan in the world that wouldn't think we're up two games to nothing right now, JJ. Not a Cavs fan in the world. When you look at the way the Knicks played, three-point percentage, 27% game one, 24% in game two, every Cavs fan that is here in Northeast Ohio thinks we're up two games to none. Uh, mind-blowing. That it's a 1-1 series. Then go into the Garden where, I'm telling you, JJ, this team is different on the road. It scares me. They're very good at home. They're very different on the road. It scares me a little bit, JJ. Okay, you watch them night in and night out. What has been the biggest difference in Cleveland in their home building as opposed to what you've seen from Cleveland on the road? Yeah, they're just a different team. And it's just it's just top to bottom. And it's really hard to explain because even just, just win-loss record-wise, right? You're not supposed to have a team be below 500 on the road when you finish 20-plus games above 500. It's weird. You know, baseball, if, if you had this big of a disparity, you might even be like, are they someone tipping pitches? You got someone back in center field? Like, what's, what's really going on here? It's very different. They're very comfortable at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. They really are fantastic fans in Cleveland. There's a lot that, that happens. There's a, the familiarity with Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse exists as well. They get on the road. And I'm telling you, JJ, this isn't a team built with a bunch of partiers or anything either. You're not like, oh, they got the Miami flu. They go to Atlanta. They want to go to the clubs. They want to do this and that. I mean, Evan Mobley solves Rubik's Cubes in his free time. Jared Allen builds computers. At one point, the New York Post dubbed him the, the nerdiest player in the NBA. These guys aren't going out to the clubs and having a good time. So it's it's inexcusable. It, may, it just There's no clear, direct reason as to why they're so bad on the road relative to the home, but the the splits are there. You, you, you can't lie. You mentioned the idea that Cleveland should not be happy about the fact that this series is 1-1, and you're right. The Knickerbockers have not shot the ball great. Uh, mm-hmm. Josh Hart was brilliant in game one. Jalen Brunson was brilliant in game one and brought it home in the final couple of minutes, but then game two was eye-opening. You know, that's the thing, Peter Lynn. Like, if you told me before game one on Saturday the Knicks would be 1-1, heading back to Madison Square Garden on Friday night. I would have said, great. Where do I sign? That is as good as it gets. That's all you could hope for. But when you win game one in dramatic fashion, and then you're basically never in game two, what was it about game two that kind of opened your eyes? Garland decide. Because listen, Garland, game one, I don't know where he was. He was invisible. Game two, it felt like they made it a point of emphasis we're getting this guy involved. He is going to be the guy to get us going. Even Donovan Mitchell, I felt like, was deferring to Darius Garland to try to get him on track. But what was the biggest difference that you noticed Cleveland game one as opposed to Cleveland in game two? Yeah, so J.B. Bickerstaff, let's stay with the craps for a second, right? J.B. rides the hot hand. It's just how he operates, right? And in game one, you saw Karis LeVert. Karis LeVert struggled. Didn't hit a shot from the perimeter. Won a seven total from the, uh, from the field. Scored three points. Wasn't very good, right? 17 minutes of action. 
That's not what Karis LeVert had been in the final month of the season, JJ. Karis LeVert had been averaging 31 minutes a game, 15 points a game, and it really, it's kind of like the Cavs had acquired someone at the deadline. That's how different Karis LeVert had been. JB didn't trust him in game one. In game two, he removed Okoro after three minutes. Okoro got in the starting lineup, removed him after three minutes. Karis got hot, and then he rode the hot hand. And then Karis never stopped missing baskets. And that was a big reason why. I mean, Darius, you got to give credit, obviously. But Karis LeVert, that's going to be the big story, whether or not they can get him moving into game three. And he's a roller coaster, JJ. He's up, he's down, he's up, he's down. He is a, he's an absolute roller coaster of a player. But if he can stay high, you're going to see games like the Cavs had in game two. How surprised were you guys in game one with the way the Knicks were just getting second and third chances like crazy? Like, you know, I've seen, you know what it is, Peter Lynn? Like, I've seen your team a handful of times, but I'm not watching the Cavaliers day in and day out. And you see Mobley's this tremendous defensive player. He's a big dude. Allen, he's on the floor. I remember what he was able to do with the Brooklyn Nets. And, and I'm watching the game. I'm saying, well, how in the world did the Knicks getting these second, third, and fourth opportunities, these bigs for Cleveland, you like both of them on the floor together. What can you expect out of them in game three and game four? Because, listen, they were far more active to be in game two than they were in game one. The missed bunnies, the missed layups, that's inexcusable, obviously. But the, the rebounding has been an issue all year long. They do get they get beat on the boards for having the twin towers over there. They do get beat on the boards. And I, it would not surprise me if the Knicks in game three had the advantage in that area. But I'll tell you this. Evan Mobley played the worst offensive game I've seen him play in four months in game one. He was just he was awful. And, and we really haven't seen really, truly good offensive Evan Mobley yet in this series. That's got to turn around. In game three, I imagine it will. And he talked about it after game one. He said he didn't understand how big the moment was. He didn't understand that it would be that intense the entire game, which, you know, you know these guys. Like, Bickerstaff can tell him it's going to be intense until you're in that moment playing in his first playoff game. I just didn't think he believed it. And then he came out in game two and he was a little bit better, a little bit different, and I feel like that's going to carry over in game three. Jared Allen... Jared Allen, had, he played pretty good the last game. He really did. And uh, he's just a good player. He's a walking double-double, JJ. He's just a walking double-double. He's going to get the job done. I got a feeling those two big men, they're going to play They're going to play their butt off in game three. It's going to be a good game for them. All right, Mitchell. I kind of buried the lead a little bit here. We yeah, know yeah, yeah. he's returning to Madison Square Garden. He's a huge Met fan. We talked about this on your show earlier today. How do you think a guy who is an all-NBA player, he had the best season of his NBA career, was just fantastic for Cleveland every which way, thought he was going to be a New York Nick. Now he's going <laughs> and playing in the place he probably dreamed he was going to be playing in for 41 games this year, not just a handful of games. How do you anticipate what we see from Donovan Mitchell coming back to Madison Square Garden, like set the stage for somebody who has watched him now basically every single game this year. It's weird. In April, he started ramping himself up, right? Like before the season ended, he had four straight 40-point games. But in that stretch, he was also playing 40 minutes a night. I thought it was I thought it was weird. You don't go into the postseason playing 40 minutes a night. And that's why when he came out in game one, I was like, oh, this, this is what JB's doing. JB's going to try to replicate what we saw in the previous two weeks of the season. I didn't like that, JJ. I didn't like that because there were times they we had an Atlanta game three weeks ago where he scored 33 points, but it took him 30 shots to get there. And at some point, it does become a little inefficient. As good as Donovan is, it does become a little inefficient. But at the end of game one, as you saw, when he took the final, he took the 28-footer and the 25-footer. After we took the lead with two minutes and 12 seconds left, 
There's nobody else in the court I trusted at that point. So I didn't mind it. I really didn't mind it. But I'm curious. I, I'll ask you, man. I What do you think? You think in game one, he's going to revert back to what he was and what he showed in the previous two weeks of the season? Or game two, are the Knicks going to try to swarm him like they did? And then he's going to become the, the assist man like he was, where he was just finding the, the best player. Because if they go that route, that relies on then Darius to be as good as he was in game two. It relies on Mobley to have an offensive outburst and Karis LeVert to be as good as he was in game two as well. And as you know, when it's working, it's great, but it's got to work. You know, that's a great question because I, I think in a perfect world for the Knicks, from a Knicks standpoint, I'm okay with Mitchell getting his 35 or 40 points. If you lock down the other guys, then all of a sudden Cleveland becomes that much more predictable and you're not worried about secondary and third sources of scoring. So mm-hmm. for me, I guess to answer that question, I'd say, all right, let Donovan Mitchell go try and be Superman and, and see where that takes you. But by the same token, to your point, is Darius Garland going to be as efficient? Is Karis LeVert going to be as efficient? And, and I always believe, this is the UB Brown theory for years, that <laughs> three through eight in playoff games on the road and playoff games at home they're different, right? Like, they're just different. Yeah. And that's why I think from a Knicks perspective in this game three, John, I think you're going to see a much better Emmanuel quickly. I think you're going to see a much better Quentin Grimes. I, I have no idea what you're going to add up Barrett. Barrett right now is just <laughs> in, in, incapable of putting the ball in the ocean. So for me to come on and tell you that I think Barrett is going to go and give you 25 and be efficient, and there I go, hit a couple of threes. I'm not buying that. But I do think you'll get better play out of Nick role players. Is there a concern with Cleveland? about the moment, the stage, the magnitude of a Friday night nationally televised playoff game at the world's most famous arena. Uh, We know Mitchell is not going to be phased by it, but is there any concern about the other guys on the Cavaliers maybe being, dare I say, a little intimidated? You almost gave me the Mecca speech. Yeah, you almost did it. I I don't think, do, do, do Knicks fans really believe it's that intimidating of a thing? Well, it wasn't for Trey Young a couple of years ago. I was going to say, I don't think, I don't think, uh, I don't think these guys. Well, you know what can happen with the crowd, John? It can go the yeah. other way too, where you see guys, you know, they they they're rocking at seven thirty at night. It's insane, and you know, it's almost like sometimes that can work against you in the first couple of minutes of the game, but mm-hmm. it can really will you and can really bring you home. I mean, listen, the best way to take the crowd out of the game is shut them up, hit a couple of threes. That's really what it boils down no to. No doubt about it. Now, and I think you're onto something as it came to. Game one. I, I, I genuinely do think it because Mobley spoke about it afterwards and he was he's just an honest dude. There's just no way other way to do it. I don't trust athletes. I don't trust when athletes speak at all. He had no reason to lie there. Like he he, he said, yeah, I didn't I didn't think the game was going to be that fast. So, yeah, I think it got to Mobley a little bit. Garland had no excuse, though. I'll tell you why. Garland had two play in games last year. I know it's not the playoffs, but it's play in games. It's about as big of a stage as you're going to find. And he played the best game of his season against the Nets. And he played arguably a top five game of the, of uh, last year against the Hawks in the second game that he got to play in. So he had no excuses in my mind there. Jared Allen, you guys know, has experience. Donovan Mitchell has experience. So really, the only one you're worried about is Mobley. And I think Mobley looked good enough in game two that he he shook off everything that happened in game one. I think he's I think he's gonna be ready. Now the the question though is, does Donovan try to put on a show for the hometown? Does Donovan really try to take over because of that? Because of the fact that he almost was a Nick, because he almost played with all these guys, does he try to take over because of that? I, I I haven't seen him be that selfish with the basketball. I'm just being honest about it. He usually goes by what the, the game calls for, and so I'm not worried about that. But if it sets in, that's human nature, right, JJ? 
Let me ask you this. Biggest X factor, in your opinion, for Cleveland. 1-1, going to Madison Square Garden. They're going to win this series. Mitchell aside, give me your biggest key. And then also give me, John, what scares you the most about this Knickerbocker team? It's got to be, okay, first answer has got to be Mobley. Like, like, he is the media, the national media's darling for a reason. I think two years from now, he's not only going to be one of the best players in the NBA, I don't think it's going to fall on Donovan Mitchell to carry this team to extreme highs. I think it's going to be on Evan Mobley at that point. That's how good he is. And you guys haven't seen the best of Evan Mobley yet, not even close. I, I feel almost bad that he has underperformed on this big of a stage when he knows that people take these playoff games and they just run with it for their rhetoric for the next months on end. He's been he's so much better than what you guys have seen. So there's a lot there for him to get to. No doubt about that on my end. What scares me the most is the physicality, JJ. I am absolutely scared of this Knicks physicality because I mentioned they're not between Allen, between Mobley, between Darius. Darius spent months complaining that he was getting assaulted going to the rib anytime he tried to, to take the ball to the basket. Like they're just, I love this team. They're pretty soft, JJ. They're not a tough group. Julius Randle's tough. You're intimidated by Julius Randle. I'll tell you who's tough. Josh Hart. He is the guy that all of Cleveland is going to hate by the end of this series. Mark my words on that because he's an agitator. He plays really tough defense. He's a guy that's going to get his crowd going. He's also going to be a little bit of an antagonist from time to time. Mm. Hart is a guy that you got to be very mindful of as you watch the rest of this series because he really, to me, took the Knicks to a different level when they made that trade back in January to go and get him. He's Where did 17 and 10 come from, JJ? Where did that come from in game one? Well, he's been doing it for the Knicks since he's come here. That, see, that's the thing, John. Like, he has been that instant energy, that sort of spark plug for the team. I'm not saying that he's shot it that efficiently, and obviously <laughs> he was getting a ton of second and third chances and was in the middle of everything, but that's kind of been the player he's been for the Knicks, man. And at the end of these games, listen, he's got to be on the floor for the team. That's all there is to it. That's how good he has been. What do you think about... Uh, well, so Bickerstaff is a problem for me. Bickerstaff's rotations are awful sometimes. And sometimes I told you he rides the hot hand and it can end up with like really bad Jetty Osmond possessions. And Jetty's never met a shot that he doesn't like. Are you guys okay with Osmond, by the way, guarding Brunson? I wanted to ask you about that because you know him better than me. And at the end of that game, game number one, it felt like Brunson was just toy. It looked like Osmond was hanging around, you know, like he did okay for a couple of possessions. But then it felt like Bickerstaff kind of stuck with it <laughs> a little too long where it's like, no, 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 dude, maybe get a coral on Brunson. That might be better for your sake. It made no sense. It made absolutely zero sense. But that's what JB does sometimes. JB will take a guy, and if he, if he looks like he's got some sense of competence to him on either end, he'll ride him. And then you get then you get misopportune moments like that where you got uh, Jetty on Jalen in the most important part of the game. It's like, how did we get here? Jalen hits that shot. If it doesn't come down to the rebound or anything like that, Jalen just flat hits that shot, and JB got crushed after game one anyway, but it would have been even worse. Okay. I picked Cavs in seven, full you disclosure, did? at the beginning of the series. Uh, well, because I picked the Knicks two years ago against the Hawks, and it was a disaster. Oh, they you were lost bad, in five. I thought maybe I was. Uh, <laughs> I thought maybe I was. So I, I tried going down a different road. I expected a seven-game series. For what it's worth, John, I still think we're getting a seven-game series. Uh, what do you think this series ends up when it's all said and done? I think Cavs in seven is the play. I said Cavs in six before it got underway. I'll say Cavs in seven now. I think that's got to be the answer. All right, it's definitely not the answer the audience was looking for, but hey, that's no, why I bring you no. on for your Cleveland perspective. Uh, final one here. 
You know, know the city pretty well. You've been there doing radio for a bunch of years. It's not LeBron. I understand that. LeBron was a different phenomenon. He's one of the greatest players of all time. The city, are they like bought in with this team? Like it's not to LeBron levels, but like uh, the, the Cav fans back. Is that fair to say? No, what's weird about it, JJ, is that it's not like you're like, oh, it's not to LeBron levels. That would be the easy assumption. Was nothing's ever going to be 2016 when you win. Nothing's ever going to be that. But it is coming close to LeBron levels because we watched this team come from basically just a bunch of young pups from the very, very bottom, right? And then we crawled to walk to run, and we just got better and better and better, and they're fun. They're just a legitimately fun Cavs team. When you watch, like some people get agitated at, at Jared Allen. You could be down 20 points in a game, and he's smiling like he's playing, uh, you know, at the YMCA, just having a good time with his buddies on a Saturday. Like, it's just how they are. Like, Jared's fun to watch. Darius is always smiling. They're all having a good time. They seem like they actually like each other, which is not something we ever saw in the LeBron era. And I think there's something to the idea that you're working hard for all these series as well. You know, we went through so many postseasons where round one was LeBron's, that was his warm-up. You know, that was the easy part. It was like, we don't even, we didn't even think about half of the Pacers series. There'd be people that didn't even show up to the games. It's like, I'm going to, I'll wait until they make it. I'll wait until the second round. I'll wait until the conference. I'll wait for the NBA finals. I get that. When you're entitled, you're spoiled. I get it. Yeah. And Cavs fans for a little bit were, they, they, but now we're back, you know, went to the bottom of the basement. Now we're working our way back up to the penthouse and they're just doing it one step at a time. So Cavs fans love this team. Absolutely love this team to a way that if this team were to make it to a finals, they don't have to win, make it to a finals. It would come very, very close to those LeBron years. No doubt about it. John Peterlin, outstanding perspective. Does a great job in his show in Cleveland. Excellent golfer. His boss would disagree, <laughs> but uh, he is an excellent, excellent golfer. And by the way, I'm going to have to send you some of the the driving videos that I was watching as I watched the Met game and as I watched uh, Golden State sick to Sacramento. All sorts of drills, Peterlin. I'm all about I, I, You were I, telling I, I, me you like the YouTube content. I'm all about the Instagram golf content. Oh, you get the quick. You get the quick drills. I'm okay. in and out, man. I, I got a busy schedule <laughs> these days, dude. I need 10 <laughs> seconds or less, you know? <laughs> I love it. You're going to fall down a rabbit hole with those guys. Golf TikTok, golf Instagram is just a completely different world. They're it all is crazy. dangerous, dangerous world. All right, my man. Enjoy the rest of the series. Continued success. We'll talk soon, okay? Love it. Thank you, JJ. Talk to you later, man. All right, Larry. I know you know Peterlin well because... Larry is like a connoisseur uh, of Cleveland radio because he's a big Brownies fan, big uh, Guardian fan, Cav fan, whatever. But you're a trivia extraordinaire. So take it easy on me. It's been a long couple of days. Uh, I'm hurting from this West Coast schedule. Please. What do you got for me, Larry? Larry, JJ, we got a little wild card era trivia tonight 1995 to present okay question one who has the best career batting average in the wild card era question two what three pitchers have the most wins in the wild card era I'm out see 95 present so I have to assume, with the way Larry phrased this question, that it has to be a guy who started their career in 1995. So that's going to rule out Tony Gwynn, for example. That That's just my guess. That's my guess. Uh, I am going to say, Larry, 
And I wonder if his batting average was hurt by the fact that he hung on way too long. But I'm going to say the best batting average in the wild card era, 1995 and beyond, Ichiro Suzuki. Wow. I was very confident in that answer, too. Very, very, very confident in that answer. And I was not wise to be confident in my answer. Not Ichiro. I mean, I would have put Ichiro as a freaking layup that he had the highest batting average. Wow. 95 present. Highest BA. It's not Derek Jeter, is it, Stefan? Okay, didn't think so. Didn't think so. Is it Chipper Larry Jones? I'm stunned here. This is this is rough. Highest batting average from 1995 and beyond. I mean, I just gave you three brand names right off the tip of my tongue. Three brand names. Stefan, is it Barry Bonds? I got no idea. Where, where, get, get, get me in the right direction, Stefan. I feel like I'm nowhere close. One of the best. You, you, you named a lot of, a lot of good guys. This guy's in there. Hall of Famer. No doubt. Amazing slugger. Um, you know, I, I want to give you hints, but I don't want to give you the, you don't want to give it away. You don't want to give it away. I don't want to give it away. I want you to work for it, but I, um, he is, uh, yeah, he, he, legend, man. Absolute legend. One of those guys from the 90s, for sure. Household uh, name. All right, I, th- I, think I, might, I think I might know. Is it Vladimir Guerrero? There we go. There we go. And for what you it's know, worth. I want to say, Jay, I want to say uh, bare hands so bad. Well, I want I mean, to say bare hands so bad. You would have said bare hands. So you would have said That would have given it away. If you would have said bad ball hitter, that would have given it away. So Ichiro finished his career with a 311 batting average. And remember, Ichiro was a hitting machine, but his batting average, because he stuck around too long, really plummeted at the end of his career. So Ichiro was at 311 for his career. Vlad Guerrero, I'm, pu- I'm pulling this up right now because I'm kind of curious. 318. Because Vladdy was wise enough to know, you know what? Let me get out on top. Vladdy's the last year in the bigs with the Baltimore Orioles. He still hit 290. Hitting freaking machine. Good job, Larry. All right. So from 95 and beyond, the three pitchers with the most amount of wins. I guess Larry going in the direction of uh, Clayton Kershaw because of what happened the other day with win 200 against the New York Mets. So night, see, it's tricky because you got to go from 95 into the present. So you're ruling out a Clemens, for example. You're probably ruling out a Maddox, for example, because those guys, you know, were pitching in the late 80s into the early 1990s. So 95 present, three guys with the most amount of wins. Um, Number one, Stefan, 
CC Sabathia. That was an easy one. That was a laugh. Number two, Clayton Kershaw. No, no Clayton Kershaw. Okay. Okay. Number two, Andy Pettit. A lot of wins with the New York Yankees. A lot of wins with the New York Yankees. All right. So we got Pettit in the barn. We got Sabathia in the barn. 95 present. I need one more pitcher. Think of wins. A lot of wins. Justin Verlander. No, not one of the modern. It just goes to show you the difference in baseball from a win standpoint for the guys who were pitching 10, 15, 20 years ago and the guys who are pitching now. They just don't get the same amount of wins. They just don't. So I got CC, got Pettit, 95 and present. You got to think about guys who are pitching a long time. Bartolo Colon. How about that? And I'm curious, Stefan. Let's see how many wins Big Bart ended up with throughout his career. Colon won a Cy Young. 247. He's not going to get into the Hall of Fame. Not with a 4-1-2 ERA. Not enough. He did have the Cy Young with the Angels in 05. And he had no business winning the Cy Young that year, by the way. Rivera should have won the Cy Young. Rivera... Rivera, after giving up, like, two blown saves early in the year against the Red Sox, Rivera that year had one of the best seasons of his life in that 2005 season. Rivera was 7-4 with a 1-3 ADRA and finished second in the Cy Young behind Colon. That was the emotion of one the Cy Young. That year in 1996, you could have made the argument. And in 96, he finished in third. Colon. Took me a while, Larry. But we got there. I'm actually pretty pleased uh, with my trivia performance. All right. You know what I'm not pleased about? Being dumb enough to bet the Sacramento Kings on Thursday. What a dumb bet that was. Holy smokes. But anyway, Jeff Money, Friday card, NBA, NHL, baseball. What do we got? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here at Handicapper Picks. It'll be for tomorrow, Friday the 21st. I'm going with one play in the NBA. We spoke about it briefly. I'm going to go with the New York Knicks. Now, the line is still minus two over the Cleveland Cavaliers. Like we were talking about before, why isn't it higher? But you know what? How can you not go in there? The Garden's going to be electrifying. you got to take the Knicks. So, again, I'm going to take the Knicks minus the two. And everyone can follow all my daily plays on Twitter at Jeff Money. Okay, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Let's go, Jeff Money. I'm keeping it simple as well. I like the Knickerbockers to win game three. I also like Minnesota to go and have a moment against Denver. Two and a half, begging you to take the Nuggets. I think that's a good spot for the Minnesota Timberwolves. So the Knicks and the T-Wolves will be the card Friday in the NBA. Uh, we'll have a gambling pod tomorrow doing all the NBA stuff. We'll have a Twitter Spaces Friday night after game three. Wall-to-wall reaction. Busy weekend ahead. Pray for me. The over-under for my half marathon time. one fifty-eight. And 30 seconds. And I'm praying I go on. I don't know. I'm not feeling great this week. Body's a little achy. Golf today. Had a great round with Beningo at Blue Hill. What a phenomenal round. Had a birdie. Had a birdie we put on the card. 
But uh, pray for my legs. And hopefully a lot of water and pasta is coming my way. Good job, Stefan. Uh, we will chat late night after the festivities from Madison Square Garden. Enjoy your Friday. Take you out. Be good, everybody. <laughs>